And now. And now, introducing the one, the only. Now let me introduce to you. Lively talk with successful people, barely filtered. This is the Jenna Ben Show. Hello, hello. You're listening to The Jenna Ben Show. I'm your host, Jenna Benemy, And with us today, you guys, this guy has the best energy. Steve Orozco, owner of Smash Global, former MMA fighter, serial entrepreneur. How are you doing, Steve? I am doing great. How are you? I'm so good. I'm glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. Um, Steve, give us a little bit of background. Where are you from? Your age? Your marriage? Your family uh, situation? Tell us age. everything. age. I got to tell people my age. <laughs> Itch, ish. 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 Well, I'm be 39 in a few weeks. That's exciting. Yeah, not too bad. I'll be 40 next year. Big 4-0. He looks fantastic, guys. And I'm going to tell you. you why in like halfway through the show, I'm going to tell you why he looks fantastic. There's All a little right. secret. Okay. <laughs> All right. I can't wait to hear what the secret is. You you know, but you, you'll, you'll connect the dots. Okay. So I'm a small town kid. I'm from Newport, Rhode Island. I'm born and raised. I wrestled my entire life. I uh, moved to New York City. So I wanted an aspiration of being on Wall Street. Yeah. And I went to Pace University, graduated from finance, um, moved to Connecticut where I went to grad school. Um, I got my MBA and my MS while I was there. Amazing. And uh, during that time, I, I started training at a place called Ultimate MMA in Connecticut, mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu place. This guy, Andrew Calandrelli, was always like, come down, come down, you yeah. know, because I was a wrestler. I'm like, no, nah, I really don't want to. And then I did, and I fell in love with jiu-jitsu. Because it was basically like wrestling, but yes. with submissions. And uh, I always said, if I ever leave this industry, I want to be a fighter. So, you know, things unfolded, and I ended up moving to San Diego in 2009 mm-hmm. to turn pro as a fighter and follow that dream. Yes. Okay. Yes. We're going to get into that in a little bit because I want to really like. Because I have so many combat sports guys on the show, I yeah. want to get into that. And I'm very curious to get your feedback on where the industry is today. Um, but to backtrack a little bit, so we met through Gabriel Rosado, sort of. Mm. Like, how do you know Gabe? Gabe, just, you know, the combat sports world, especially in Los Angeles, is so small. So small. So this small. This is why I won't date any of y'all, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Everyone knows everyone. Even actually in entertainment itself, Yeah. everybody knows everyone. So we just got connected that way. And I've been trying to get down to his gym to train. And uh, hopefully he hears us because I'm supposed to take him to Muscle Farm next week. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And put him through work with me and uh, my man Taylor. What's your affiliation with Muscle Farm? Um, they're kind of like a sponsor of mine. Mm-hmm. And I get to use their facility anytime I want. That's their, the best. Dude, their facility is literally the – I mean, it's not like the – it's like the UFC Performance Institute, but here. Yeah. Like they have everything that you could possibly dream of to want to work out. It's like a big playground when I walk in there. Yeah. Has, Wait, where is it located? I want to go. Yeah, it's in, uh, it's in Burbank or okay. North Hollywood. All right. I think I'm going to have to check them out. Okay, guys. So here on the Jenna Ben Show, we get into my guest professional stories. We talk about how they got started, what they're up to now, what's next for them. But we also talk about, you know, how they achieve their success and then, you know, where they stumbled and what they learned from those, quote, failures, right? So to jump in, Steve, tell us about Smash Global. Mm. Smash Global was my baby. Yes. Um, You know, when I was fighting, and I always had to preface everything because I'm a big MMA fan. Yeah. So I preface with, I mean, no disrespect to fans, Mm -hmm. you know, but MMA came from a a backyard fighting feel like when it started there were no rules no weight classes no sanctioning um and because of it the crowd was very aggressive they just want to see blood you know and and that's fine Mm. but i want to bring some class to the sport 
you know, because boxing, because it has centuries of history yeah. and build up, and it kind of started with people had money in the first place and the suits and the ties. And there's so many black tie boxing events that you see now, you know, that are even based, based around charity, like uh, Operation Smile just had one at the Beverly Hilton, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to get that crowd to come watch the sport live. Because right now, where are they going to go? Right. Hollywood Park Casino for third tier. If it's not the UFC, there's really nowhere to go. Well, they're going to watch Lights Out Extreme Fighting. But, you yeah. know, a little plug to my boy, Sean Merriman. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and I have respect for everyone who's trying to build up the sport. Yeah. But all the local promotions, the biggest issue is every person that's in there, they are just fans of a f- friend or family of the fighter that's fighting. Mm-hmm, they're not yes. like bringing new people. They're not bringing in that Formula One demographic that I want. Mm-hmm. MMA is a very NASCAR crowd. It's thirty ticket, thirty tickets, thirty dollars a ticket. You know, interesting. I want that affluence to come in because then you also have the networking component that goes with it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a a thousand dollar ticket and everyone in the room paid a thousand dollars, you should be able to make your money back that night on networking alone. That's a good perspective. Okay, has this has this worked for you? Yes, I'm gonna show number nine coming up, and then number, uh, nine. number nine. I'll be there. Yes, you will. Yes, and then uh, the Big Ten will be in New York. Okay, well, I am really excited about that. That's next year, or is it every yeah. few months? How does it work? I'm gonna do it in May. I would like to do it before that, mm. but I don't want to play with winter. No, you not know? in New York. No, <laughs> I want. I want the nice red carpet. I want to really come out hard for the first one. Yes. Okay, that's yeah. exciting. Have they all been in L.A. up till now? Yeah, no, well, the first two were in San Diego, which I call practice. Mm. And then uh, I guess what the six basically coming up um, in Los Angeles. Okay. All right. So obviously you have the craft to create Smash Global, but it also, I mean, your passion for the sport is really yeah. what led you to it, right? Yes. So let's go back into your career. Now, you... I know you had mentioned eight fights, um, maybe nine. Yep. Okay. And you won eight or seven of them, and then yep. you lost one. Then I lost one. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty fantastic record. It's not bad. It could have been better. I just, I, you know, I turned, I started fighting later than most guys. Mm-hmm. I think my first fight, I was thir- 30 or 31. You know, or most guys, it was, you know, they're 22, 23. Yeah. But I, I kind of went ass backwards of corporate America first. Yeah. And then followed my passion later. I mean, that's so cool because I think what it did for you was establish the foundation to really turn it into a business. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you, okay. So what leagues did you fight in? Uh, I fought for Explode and then I fought for uh, Hex, which is in Australia. Okay. And I loved it. I loved Australia. Why? Um, Number one, I like to travel and I like to meet new people. And uh, it was just such a different environment. The people were so nice. The weather was beautiful because I fought in December. And December is their summer. Mm. So uh, I was there for three weeks, four weeks, and uh, I had such a good time. That's dope. You didn't have a family back then, so you were just kind of like free man roaming. Um, no, I did, and that was part of the reason why I stopped fighting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, what did the missus think of it? She went to all my fights very supportive, but I'm a very rational person. Uh-huh. And the most fighters aren't rational because they don't usually have uh, something to fall back on. Yeah. You know, so at 34 years old, when I had my first loss, I also had my son was one. Mm. I've already had three knee surgeries. I've oh, had wow. shoulder surgery, you know, broken this, broken that. And I was like, you know something? I don't have it in me to go through another fight camp. No. So that's why I was like, what can I do to stay in the sport that I love? And it's literally either open up your own gym and have your own fight team, which which I would still like to do sometimes, 
um, or get your promoter's license. And for me, like when I got my MBA, they really taught you to, you know, be a consultant and find the bottlenecks and how do you make company more efficient or make it better. And for me, the one thing that was lacking in the sport was that crowd coming to the sport. Mm. So that's why I kind of packaged it in a way that celebrities and media and uh, the more affluent society would come and watch it live. So for your next event, mm-hmm. uh, can you spill the beans a little? Can you give us some clue about who's coming? Because I know you keep it very hush-hush. Very hush-hush until a week before. And it's not It's not because I don't, it's not because that I know who it is. A lot of the biggest problem with what I do is celebrities don't commit and confirm till about a week out. Who are you telling? <laughs> it drives me crazy <laughs> yes. every single time. You know, because... Fortunately, I've never had to pay an honorary. I never had to pay someone to come, you know, and get an award. Oh, that's awesome! Because they all like the platform. They like what I do for anti-bullying. Yeah, you know, and I'm literally giving someone an award for martial arts because they've made an impact in the sport. That's awesome. So they come and they love it, but I don't pay them, so they don't commit until right. because, for example, who was I? Who would I ask? I think it was. I was talking to Omar Miller, mm-hmm. Omar Benson Miller. He came to my fourth show. We we're talking about it. He said, Steve, you have to remember, you know, I won't commit to something until it's really close because I might get a gig in Florida to get paid 50 grand. Right. So I can't commit to something for free until it gets closer. Totally. You know, so it drives me crazy. But, you know, if I were to pay somebody 100 grand to accept an award, I would lock them in and be able to promote them. Yeah. But I don't think that I would get an ROI on that. No. So it's it's tough. It's tough. Listen, I understand that balance um, very much booking guests for the show here. You know, obviously, I don't pay anyone either. And I will say just so much credit to all of my past guests. I'm coming up on show 50, by the way. So every single person that's been on the show has been amazing. And no one has asked me, is it paid? Do you know who asked me? It's the people for the dating shows, like the influencers that don't really understand like this is actually this benefits you too. I mean, yeah. eighty five thousand listeners, five per air, five airs per week. You know, that's kind of a big deal. I agree. So, um, yeah, so interesting though. But I'm okay. So I'm really excited, and maybe off record, you can like tell me if you got anybody <laughs> locked down. I can't wait. Um, okay, so I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about your career. Now, I always ask my guests because I personally think it's fascinating to hear how you got started. Like, what was your first job ever? Hmm. What age? It doesn't matter. Like, what the first job that you got paid for, whether it was like, yeah. you know, tossing newspapers or whatever. For me, yeah. Newport, Rhode Island is a very uh, tourist destination. So in the summer, it's flooded with tourists. Mm-hmm. So I was a busboy. So that's where I started. I how started busing. You? I was 15. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Did you work your way up in the service industry or was that just it and you were out? That was it and out because I was in high school mm-hmm. and then I was off to college. And then I was in college, I uh, I worked at The Gap. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I could see you in one of those like knit, fluffy turtlenecks, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love being at The Gap. The funny thing is I wasn't going to work in college. So I had one of my, my car got stolen in college. No. So I was in between cars. I just got a new car. It was leased, but my old car, I still owed five grand on it and it wasn't insured anymore. And it got stolen within like that week. You got to get your gap insurance guys. That's what that's called, right? Yes. So where they, they cover the rest of your payments if it's like lease or you haven't paid at all. Okay. Go on. Yeah. So, uh, I remember being, what am I going to do? So I asked my mom if she would help me. Mm. My mom was like, this is a learning lesson for you. You better go get a job <laughs> to pay off your loan. It was yeah. like five grand. 
So I literally had to take a semester off of school. Ah. As a, I was in my sophomore year, and uh, I went and worked at the Gap and paid it off, and then went back to school. Such so, a life lesson. How much did you make at the Gap? I think back then it was like eight dollars an hour, or maybe it was seven. Man, baby money. That's two thousand. 2001, 2002. But you got that employee discount. I sure did, 50% <laughs> off. <laughs> they have the best discounts at The Gap. Back in the day when I was like working in an office environment and yep. I needed conservative clothes, yeah, that's a good, like reasonable place to shop. Oh, they make so much money off of their employees. Really? Yeah, definitely, because everyone's spending part of their check on clothes. Right. <laughs> you know? But Can't their, help it. their margins, okay, I just we're going to go off topic for one second. Their margins have to be insane because their stuff sometimes gets marked down between like, you know, 50% plus an extra 35 and an extra 10, down to like 85% off the retail price. Yep. That's, that's crazy. So how much are they making this stuff for? <laughs> I know, seriously, it's not cool. It's not cool gap. Not cool gap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then after the gap, you did what? Let's see, gap. Uh, so back in school, majored in finance. Um, I started an internship at Charles Schwab on the corner of Wall Street and William. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started working there as well. And while I was there, I got recruited by a firm in Connecticut called Barnum Financial Group, and that's what brought me to Connecticut. Mm. It was a, it was a good offer. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where I found Jiu-Jitsu. And that's that's where you are now. And that's where I'm back now. Yeah. So guys, I just had my first Jiu-Jitsu lesson mm. with Mike Quintero, who was on the uh, the LXF4 Champion Show. Um, he also got a late start, by the way. Mm. He's 43 and he's fighting still. Collecting those injuries. He got yes. 17 stitches this last heavyweight fight, but he won. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I loved it. And I'm really, I think I, I think I want to commit to learning. You should. It's an amazing sport. Yeah. So his feedback, it was interesting. I sparred with him. I mean, the guy's like six, five or something. So it was kind mm. of hard for us. So like our oh, bodies yeah. would just not match up. Yep. But then there was a guy um, who was a little taller than me. I'm five, three. So the guy was like five, eight, maybe. And he was surprised to hear that it was my first time. Oh wow! Yeah, so thanks. You know, I get, <laughs> but I, I was really squirmy because mm-hmm. I'm. I used to belly dance, so okay. I have like a strong core. Yeah, so I was able to. Yes, yeah, so I was able to. Like, I remember there was one move. I can't remember the name, but I was on my back, and um, Mike wanted me to swing my left leg over before moving my right leg over to kind of tilt the guy off of my body to the right, like to throw him off of me. Yep. But I was like, but I don't need to do that. And I showed him like how flexible I was with my right leg. He's like, oh, skip that part then. He's like, that's just a formality. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Given your MMA experience, what trends or changes are you noting? Are you noticing in the combat sports industry? Man, it's it's become, and I I I struggle with this sometimes. Mm. But combat sports itself has just become more entertainment than like the uh, authenticity. You know, it's it's Mm. all about. You know Logan Paul versus KSI, mm-hmm. or or whoever the UFC thinks will bring the biggest draw. It's not like the number one guy versus the number two guy. It's just turning into much much more entertainment, which is fine because it puts more eyes on the sport and guys will end up getting paid more. Right. But uh, but it does take that authenticity away of like the best versus the best. That's so interesting. And when I look at like the Logan Paul example, and I talked about this on a previous show. Um, I wonder if it's social media's doing. Yeah. Because he's managed to create a platform for himself. And forgive me, I don't actually don't know what Logan Paul does for a living outside of social. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I think that because of 
the ability for him to create exposure for the sport is what created the opportunity. No, of course, of course. Yeah. So like Joe Schmo off the street wouldn't be able to just go, you know, and fight. No, because he has I don't I don't know what the numbers are. Let's say twenty million it's followers millions, yeah. on Instagram. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's not clear to what he has on YouTube and everything else. What who who is Logan Paul? Um, he's a YouTube star. Okay. You know, he got into YouTube at at his infancy and yes. and built his his market. Amazing. And him and his brother did an amazing job. So they're able to go and do a fight. They don't need a whole lot of promotion. They can promote themselves. They can be their own promoters. They don't yeah. even need anybody, you know? Like, for example, I have a daughter because I was married once before, yeah. and she's 13. They don't. She doesn't watch boxing. She just couldn't even care about it. Right. But I guarantee you she watched Logan Paul versus KSI because it's YouTube stars and social media influence. Yeah. That's you a know? good point. And that generation doesn't care about combat sports like my generation or the generation above. Mm-hmm. So if, if, them, if those guys fighting gets that generation interested in combat sports i'm all for it interesting although i don't like you know there's certain things i don't like you You don't like the showmanship of it you want it to be like you like you you have love for the actual sport yes and the craft because it takes away it also takes away from the legitimacy of the sport in my opinion because you know the last fight ksi and logan paul it was actually pro under what c-stack or whoever it was yes so i was like jesus like these guys aren't legitimate professional fighters mm-hmm. but they're getting their pro card to fight pro on this card with amazing guys under it you know so they take the legitimacy out of it but you know that's an interesting point yeah so andy foster the executive officer of c-stack was on the show and he was there for the logan paul fight yeah. you know he approves every single fight in the state of california so um that is a very interesting point you know like he they're technically amateurs oh my god but they had to get approved yes um huh i want to talk to andy about that and get his feedback on no, it because i'm sorry both of those guys if they were to fight someone in golden gloves they would get they would get stomped right you know and those guys in golden gloves aren't even pro level you know no disrespect to anyone i'm saying this but they're not pros they don't they right. haven't earned it. They've only been training for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe it was approved because they're both at the same skill level. 100%. If I know Andy, that's exactly why he did it because, yeah. you know, we've kept in touch and he's talked about really the safety. Yeah. Like he's his, that's 100% his focus. He feels that, you know, if you're going to fight, you have to be responsible. And, Agreed. And he acknowledges that, you know, this is probably the best time of your life but it's only a part of your life yes. like there is life after mma oh my god you have to protect your body you do and your mind your brain yeah, yeah. that's where a lot of fighters go wrong they don't know when to call it quits is that what it is oh my god because itch never goes away i mean i haven't fought since 2015 yeah and i still want to fight every day i was going to ask you do we have plans i want to um i keep telling people i want to wait till i'm 40 no. <laughs> so I'll be 40 at the end of next year because I'm always in amazing shape. I know I can still fight. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's this resurgence right now of like you're never too old to do anything. Yeah. Guys are in their prime in their 40s now as opposed to their 30s as long as you take care of yourself. Yes. So uh, one way till I'm 40. Extra marketability. Then fight on my own show, of course. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So yes. whoever, whoever has my belt at 155 when the time comes, I'm coming. <laughs> oh, I love it. Shots <laughs> fired. <laughs> Okay, I want to get your thoughts on um, the dramatic weight loss for weigh-ins. Mm. It's a very controversial topic. If you ask any fighter, and this is interesting because you're both like a corporate guy 
you have that business mind, yep. but you're also a fighter. Yep. And so, you know, from my perspective, um, I feel like it's just dangerous, mm -hmm. you know, and and kind of moot because, you know, even Andy acknowledged he's like, OK, so you go through all this bullshit to to drop your weight only to be within a few pounds of each other <laughs> at the at the time of weigh in. It's very true. You know, so he thinks that that the promoters should really be held accountable and like there's different weight classes now, you know, there's, and so people should fight closer to their weight. What are your thoughts? Man, it's tough. Like a great example of Samuel, last time I fought, um, I usually start camp like 185 mm -hmm. and I cut down to 155. Holy shit. So that's 30 pounds over the course of lot. camp. Yeah, so when I fought in Australia, you know, the week of my fight, I was still like 172. So I said almost 20 pounds to still cut the week of my fight. Yeah. And I remember the day of my weigh-ins, you know, I'm, I'm in the sauna and I'm getting in and out, in and out. My, I was so dehydrated, my kidneys hurt. Oh my God, you felt you know? that? Oh my God, I felt it. And it's horrible, it's a horrible feeling. But there were a couple of times I did fight at 170 and my mental state wasn't as powerful as at 55. Like I feel like come to a point that cutting weight like that is like mentally prepares you for battle. Like I'm going through all this. Wow. Whereas if when I fought at 170, I didn't have to cut that much weight. And I just felt like it was just another day. But you're right. Mm. When I cut down to 56, the next day when I was in Australia, I weighed myself, I was 183. You know, so you gain Holy all that shit. weight overnight. And obviously I can't be healthy. I mean, my no. your fingers are swollen, your toes are a little swollen, yeah. you know, cause you're rehydrating, eating every 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but again, the problem with MMA is the weight classes are so far apart. You know, if you're a 50, for me, for example, 155 to 170 is such a big difference. Mm. There's no in between. Like if there was a 165 weight class, I would have fought that. 170 should be 175. And I have a clever weight class every 10 pounds. Mm. You know, but I don't know why they haven't. I know CSAC has started that. They have a mm -hmm. junior, welterweight, junior welterweight class, 165. Yeah. But no one's really jumping in it because it's not like, because their until, coaches are telling them, nah, you you can do 155. Yeah, and I'll and say until the UFC adds it, mm. I think all the other shows don't really care about having it. Interesting you know? point. But it's tough. I, weight cutting is definitely bad for you. I think it takes away the longevity of your career. But, I mean, I wrestled my whole life, so I understand it. Yeah. You know, it's a part of the process. Interesting. So you mentioned 30 pounds, which uh, according to your body weight is about 15%, give mm. or take, which is what Andy was talking about um, being like the max he would ever really recommend, mm. 15%. And I just don't feel like 30 hours is enough for the body to recuperate. It's not. It's not. Yeah. So you talk about that clarity of mind, but I think that's just psychological. It is psychological, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I feel like I'm going through this pain and this torture and it's mental, mentally preparing me for battle. Mm. Whereas like at 170, I'm just nah, going to the sauna for You're 30 coasting. minutes. Yeah. I'm coasting. <laughs> like there's something missing of my training camp. How long are your camps usually? About eight weeks. Mm -hmm. That's pretty standard, right? Some yeah. people do 10. Yeah, some people do 10. Tell us about your diet. Ah, my diet. <laughs> you guys, okay. So Steve looks amazing. I think you've always been this, like, you've consistently been this size, right? Yes. Give or take some muscle maybe when you're training yeah. harder. Um, okay. And you look youthful. So I think the diet mm -hmm. is working. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. But, man, it takes some real discipline. Tell us what it is. Yeah. I'm, I've been doing OMAD for a long time, which is one meal a day. 
So I don't usually eat until like 6 p.m. Yeah. And uh, that's why there's a coffee next to me. Yeah. So like, my additives are black coffee and apple cider vinegar during the day. It curves mm-hmm. my appetite. Interesting. And uh, I'm at the point now where if I go and eat breakfast or eat lunch, I'm like lethargic. Mm. My energy is through the roof during the day because my body has been able to, you know, go into my cells and break down fats and break down toxins it wouldn't normally do. Because the problem with people is they don't give their digestive system a break. Mm. Like I don't do one meal a day to look better. I do it because we don't give our digestive system a break. So when you give it a break, your body is able to use its energy to fight other parts, heal injuries, break down fat, yeah. go into the cells and take out the toxins. And you get all you get this such surge of energy once you get used to it. it just takes time. Once you get used to it. So you're you're on to something. Have you guys noticed that when you eat, uh, you get a little cold after? Mm. And that's because the blood in your body rushes to your stomach to digest the food. Correct. So, okay, but getting used to it. So, guys, I've been doing intermittent fasting just inadvertently. Like, I get caught up with work because when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I'm like emails, work, 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 planning yep. for the show, casting, whatever. And, um, and then I forget to eat. And then by the time I'm like, okay, well, I'll get a workout in before I eat because then I'll burn more calories. So it's like, you know, two birds, one stone. And then by the time I finish all of that, it's like two o'clock. So I'm like, okay, two is good. For women, scientifically, women are supposed to eat sometime between 12 and two, like for their hormones and, you know, reproductive organs and all of that. Um, But so I've been really good. I did that for... I don't know, I'd say like a month or two without even trying. And then it got cold in LA. And by cold, I mean, I know you East Coasters or wherever you are in the world, like it's not cold, but it's cold for me. Um, And I just been pigging out. I'm talking Cheez-Its. Would you sponsor me already, Cheez-Its? Okay, (laughs) I love you guys. I give you so much love. Holler. I love Cheez-Its too. (laughs) Cheez-Its are awesome. They're so good. And then I got into these um, sun chips, mm. you know, the, the salsa one. Uh, Mello, our photographer here, is nodding. He knows what's up. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, of course, I have to alternate with sweet, right? Because I mm. can't, I can't, you know. I And so then, you know, you get into, like, the junk and you want the cookies. And yes. so I've been getting into pomegranate seeds. Okay. Because when I have pomegranate seeds the next day, I wake up with a flat stomach. Ah. I think it's the fiber. Okay. There's yeah, a, definitely. Yeah. A little tip for you guys. So, but I want to get back into it. So as of tomorrow, mm-hmm. I can't do the fasting on the days that I record because I need the energy, right? I got to stay like sharp for you. I don't know, man. I have energy. You feel good? I feel amazing. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> but tomorrow I'm starting and I will keep you guys posted on my journey. Right. Yes. Okay. I want to take a little break to do a little CBD toast. Um, Titan CBD is my sponsor and they are awesome. One for you, Steve, and one for Mello, our photographer. Tyler, our engineer, I'll bring you one next time. (laughs) Okay. So Titan CBD, designed by a scientist. He has a DEA-approved lab and um, he decided to come up with his own product. And actually, these are pop crystals, and they taste really good, and they're fun, and they're sublingual. So you put them under your tongue, okay. and you let them fizz under your tongue. And then you, I'm sure you know that um, the body absorbs it the fastest. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and do that. This pop isn't rocks normal, back in the day. Right. This isn't the normal packaging. Um, they're actually in production right now. My guests are given access to 
you know, pre-production. And I'm really curious to see your feedback. Have you used CBD products before? I have. Okay. Mm. Oh, it's good, right? It tastes good. Um, be- okay, given that you do this crazy diet, now mm. what happens if you're at like a birthday or a celebration and somebody hands you a piece of cake and you want to be polite? You don't care about being polite. You're just like, no, I'm good. No. Nope. <laughs> No, keep All your right. cake. <laughs> I'll I'll take two. Unless it's, I'll take his cake. Unless it's Sunday, I'll, oh. eat, I'll eat the whole cake. Oh, you have a cheat day. Mm. Oh, good. Okay. I still do my one meal. Actually, I do like a little longer of a window, like four hours, mm. and uh, I'll eat whatever I want. That's dope. Okay, mm. I kind of want to catch you on one of those days. Mm. So, like, I'll work out really hard and I'll diet all week, and then we'll just go ham that day. Okay. All right, well, we'll work out first, so then we feel like I'm down. Okay. All right, deal. We'll have to do this while you're in town. Large pizza, large fries. Yes. And Cheez-Its. And Cheez-Its. Oh, <laughs> that's like one of my favorites of all time. Really? Yeah. See? Cheez-Its and goldfish. Oh, God. See, I grew up on those. That's Me probably too. why. Me too. Hey, okay, did you see the ads for the Pizza Hut Cheez-It pizza? No. Did you, Mello? Tyler? Okay. All right, we got one in the room. So Pizza Hut, I don't know why this did, they didn't advertise this more, but they're like these squares that look like gigantic Cheez-Its, but mm. that's that's the crust of the pizza, and oh. it's just filled with cheese. Like, oh, could, could it get any dreamier? I don't know. No, we can't. <laughs> no way. <laughs> but I refused to try it because I was actually scared that I would just be so into it. Mm. Yeah. And, and these thighs don't need any more love right now. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, so with Smash Global, mm-hmm. okay, you have these events, but there's mm-hmm. also like a, a marketing element to your business, right? Mm. Tell us about that. What do, you mean, what do you mean by marketing? Don't you have clients outside of, is Smash just for your events or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I do a little like marketing stuff on the side with social media. Yeah. Um, but that's it. It's nothing crazy. I'm really all in with Smash Global. Got it. Okay. So if you had to um, sort of brand yourself, like in mm. 10 words or less, how would you describe what, what it is you do? What is I do? I mean, I'm a promoter. You're a promoter, yeah. but it's more like events. Pl- so it's events plus MMA because you're really adding that mm. like class and entertainment element. Yeah. Aside, because you do like a dinner, like walk us through what it actually looks yeah, like. Yeah, because I mean, when I started, I always looked at as MMA was just going to be the platform of entertainment for the night. Mm-hmm. The night was going to be really involved with everything that goes around it. You know, the four course dinner, the networking, the open bar, the celebrities, the media, the red carpet. Yeah. So an experience. But now going into this show was the first time that I realized I have to put less emphasis on the celebrities and the honorees. Because mm. now when people are hitting me up before they get their ticket, they're like, Steve, who are you going to honor? Who are you honoring this time? I'm like, what about the fucking fighters? Like, yeah. I have good fighters on the card. And obviously that's just the way I built it in the first place to get the people to come. Right. But now I'm at the point where I want to have a more legitimate MMA league because they're all professional fighters. That's why the last show, kind of a double-edged sword, I started crowning champions. So I had four champions on the last show. Nice. But I also honored four people, which now we usually honor one person. So I kind of went overboard with that. Mm. So now this show, I'm doing three bouts, um, championship bouts. Yeah. And then just probably one honoree and then a humanitarian award and uh, hopefully put more emphasis on the fighters. So then when I go to New York, I'm going to take all my champions from L.A., to fight champions in New York. Nice. To try to create more of a East Coast, West Coast kind of thing. Yes, and you're smart because mm. you're really doubling down on your audience. Yes. Yeah. I also, I don't want to make a call out, but 
I do have a thing Very that good. I would love to do. Okay. Um, at some point, I always think I would always love for promotions to fight promotions. Ooh. So like, I'm not. I don't plan on doing a show in LA for a while, because um, I want to focus on the East Coast. But I think after my New York show, if I were to come back and do a show, I would love to co-promote with like Sean Merriman's show. Yeah. Be like, hey, Sean, my champions versus you, champ, your champions, yes. winner takes all. To kind of create this little like buzz because he has some good fighters on his card, obviously. Amazing. And yeah. the guys who are champions on my show are actually really, really good. Um, so it would be it would be fun to do. That would be so fun. And I actually had the privilege of interviewing the winners in the cage. Yep. Yes. I was on Fox Sports. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really cool. I was nervous as hell. It was mm. one of the hardest things I've had to do. But, um, you know, just get stronger for the next time. Mm. Yeah. So, um, no, I think that's going to be awesome. And, um, yeah, we'll figure out how I can be a part of that. Maybe I'll interview <laughs> you folks. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say is your biggest? Sunday. What's that? Sunday. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, Tyler, I love you. He, he put up. Um, there's a TV in this studio, and he put up, like, all the graphics of the Cheez-It pizza, and now I want it again. We're back. We've come full Sunday. circle, folks. <laughs> That's my Sunday sauce. Yeah, you're here in L.A. Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe it's going down. Yes. <laughs> okay, I want to know, Steve, your biggest mm. professional achievement. Uh, biggest professional achievement for me, I don't think it's not that's a big achievement, but you know, school was such a big part of my life. Like I yeah, always looked at it's a sacrifice. Education is everything because you know, I'm 39, so you know, we went to college. It was go to college and get married and white picket fence. So yeah. all I thought about was college. So uh, when I got my MBA and my MS, that was probably like my biggest achievement. Mm. Um, even though it probably isn't, but it's the one that like holds heavy on my heart for sure. Why was education so impactful for you? Like, did did you grow up in a home where your parents mm -hmm. like really shoved it? I wouldn't say shoved it, but yeah, you know. So, you know, my father's side was like first, second generation from Trinidad. Um, no one went to college. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom's side was the opposite, where my mom went to Yale. Mm. Um, my grandfather went to Babson, and my great grandfather went to MIT. So education was really big on that side of the family. Yeah. So she really pushed it on me. You had I mean, some big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill, for sure. But you filled them up two times. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. I had to. You know, and I still actually have, like, I have a couple bucket list items yeah. that I want to do at some point. One is um, an Ironman, complete an Ironman. Um, the other is get my PhD. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a tough one. I started a PhD. Okay. Let me tell you, I left after my first year. Mm. I just couldn't. Um, academia wasn't for me. And I respect everyone who's in it. But just, you know, the culture and the amount of research. God help me. You yeah, know, I got into it because I wanted to be a clinical and forensic psychiatrist, psychologist rather, because I worked for a forensic psychiatrist. Mm. And he was like, listen, you have a skill. If you want to go and get your degree, I'll partner with you. And guys, the guy was charging $675 an hour. So to have that opportunity oh to God, be able to yeah. work with someone who's making so much money and yep. had a name in the industry, I was like, hell yeah. Mm. But then I did it for a year after getting my master's. And so it was kind of like, it was a journey to get there. And then I really did it because I needed to prove to myself that I could be good enough to get into an exclusive PhD program. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Right? And I see that fire in you too. You're yeah. like- you're like, no, not only am I going to be educated like the people in my family, but I'm going to, you know, surpass. I have to. Yeah. I have to. I always I always tell people, 
when you have kids, the goal is for your kids to be better than you. Mm. And if they're not, you kind of failed as a parent. That's and a I, good and point. I, I know it kind of sounds harsh to say, but every generation should be a 2.0 version of the next. So if you got your master's, your kid needs to at least get his master's. You yeah. know, or if you were, you know, a millionaire, your kids need to get up there too. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you did something wrong. You didn't drive them enough. So, yeah. And I'm a very goal-oriented person, very all-in. I like just reaching for the top. Yeah. Like I was never, I always say in finance, you know, you're taught to diversify. Mm. Diversify the portfolio. And I always did that, but... I'm the kind of guy that's all in. Mm-hmm. And I always I always use this analogy, you know, if you're a VC and you have $10 million, you can take those t- $10 million and invest a million in 10 different companies, or you could take that 10 million and ride or die with one. Right. And I'm the guy who would ride or die with one, and I would go work with that company to make sure that they did as best as they could. Okay, so I applied your ride or die perspective to options. Hmm. Um, I shouldn't have. <laughs> uh, I won't tell you the amount, but it was a lot of moolah, and I lost. And the only reason I lost, guys, is because I was so wrapped up with my consulting business that mm-hmm. I forgot about the third Friday rule. And those of you who sell options understand what I'm referring to. The third Friday of every month, the market closes the day before. Yes. So I woke up at 5.30 in the morning in a, in a like crazy sweat. And like a panic and I'm like please tell me it isn't the third Friday I'll never forget this day and I was on the phone for about four hours trying to see if there was anything I could do but of course nothing. Uh, so yeah was that was brutal day. for me but it was a lesson yep and you know when I buy property uh, you know I'll use that loss against some capital gains taxes and and you know I'll tr- 1031 yeah I'll try to feel yeah. a little better about my situation <laughs> at yeah, that point of course um, but you know so I think as of now, I'm definitely all in in terms of my broadcasting career. You know, mm-hmm. I'm here, I'm growing the show, coming up on the 50th episode, which is like crazy. I, I really didn't even think I'd be here. But um, but yeah, we will see what's next. Yeah, I always say like, people always say uh, what, in moderation or, or balances everything. Yeah. I'm always like, if balance is actually not good because something you have to sacrifice other stuff. Mm. So that's why I like to go all in and just pick that one thing and go full force. It's true. Okay. So is there a way, this is a, this is a good question. Is there a way to go 100% all in, but still have balance? And I think that there has to be. And by balance, I mean, you're focused on your passion, but you're yeah. also maintaining your health yep. and your, your mental health above all, right? Agreed. Because so much of success is, is psychological. All of it. And you, you have to have balance in your interpersonal relationships too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, are you driven by, by, love as a man would you say that that affects your path in life no i've always been the person you know how you always see fighters sometimes they're like oh yeah i fight for my kids and yeah i fight for my family i'm like really so when you're in the cage do you really think about your kids like do you really <laughs> think about your wife i find that hard to believe like mm-hmm. i've always did it because i love it and I like the competition just drove me yeah and for me like fighting is the ultimate like UFC to me doesn't stand for ultimate fighting championship. It stands for ultimate form of competition mm. because there's nothing higher than that. You're getting an occasion fighting another human who's on the same level as you. And to me, fighting is like chess. Yes. And the mental part of it is crazy. It's like the scariest thing in the world, which is probably why wow. I get that that like drive to want to do it again because I miss like that that fear and being so scared and that keeps you on your toes keeps you on your toes there's nothing in life 
that you've experienced that has kept you on your toes to that degree, right? Because you're literally mm. fighting for your life. Uh, yeah, not even a question. Like, um, Cowboy Cerrone did a video, I don't know, it's in five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I play it probably like once every few months. I love it so much where he talks about what it's like in the back mm. and how scared he is and yeah. he fears and he can't get his arms smooth right. He's punching the mitts. And he's like, my hands won't work. Nothing's working. My family's telling me I'm going to smash this guy. And I'm like, everyone leave me the fuck alone because I'm like scared. But I don't want to think. And I'm like, that's how you feel. And people wow. think that these fighters are, yeah, you're gladiators. But don't think for a minute that that fighter is not in the back room scared mm. walking out to the cage. And then obviously once that bell rings, it all goes away. It's kind of like survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. Like if you go skydiving, yeah. I've never gone skydiving, but I Me can neither. assume when you're going up, you're getting scared, you're yeah. getting nervous, getting nervous. They open the door and you got to jump out. You're like, oh my God, I'm you're not like, going. No. no, no fucking way. <laughs> but once you jump and you're in the air, all that fear goes away. You know, because you, you have no choice. Once you you're no in choice. that cave, you have no choice. You, have you no better choice. throw it down, son. You do. You do. <laughs> Absolutely. Damn. Hey, do you give away belts to the champions at, at Smash Global? Yes, I do. Okay, I'm gonna need to try one of those on. Okay. I ever since Frank Shamrock came on the show and I got to hold his original UFC belt from like I don't remember, but he won. He he fought um, I think Baz Rutten and like hmm. and he uh, won in 14 seconds. And that belt was like, they just made them differently. It was handmade and it was so yeah. heavy. And uh, I got a taste for it. So okay. I tried that on. I tried on the uh, the Lights Out Extreme Fighting belt. Yep. And I think I just want to gather like a collection of belt experiences. Because okay. I will never fight. But, you know, I, I want to live vicariously. I want to <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> I'm with you. One of these days, I'm going to have one of my guests or connections give me a belt. Just for being an awesome mm. interviewer. I think I deserve it. What do you think? We'll see. Well, uh, he is not very <laughs> generous, folks. <laughs> All right. I'll prove it to you. Okay. So we talked about your biggest professional achievement, which was school. And I understand that given your background. What's your biggest failure? And I say that in quotes. You know, your yeah. biggest learning experience. Yeah. I like that you said learning experience because failures are definitely not failures. They're like, temporary. It's, they're it's temporary. just like, it's like a, it's like a moment in time. By far, and uh, for me, it's definitely my loss in Australia. Really? You know, because you don't learn from a win. Right. You can't. You just go in, you win, you go home. But when you lose, it's like you let your family down, you let yourself down. I just trained for eight weeks. I gave everything, and now what? Like you feel like your life is over. Yeah. You know. So uh, for me, I went to Australia and I lost. I still remember being in my in my room by myself. My teammate fought that night. He lost. They all went out and partied. Wow. I just stayed home. I was the main event. And uh, it just hit hard because I hadn't mm-hmm. felt that in a long time. And I just sat in the room by myself. And remember the movie Friday? Yeah. So you remember the, I think it was the first one, when Chris Tucker smoked the angel dust? Okay. <laughs> and they find him in the pigeon coop and he's all like going crazy? Yeah. That's how I felt. Like I was like coming out of my skin. I had no family, no friends. Mm-hmm. I was by myself. And uh, I just remembered, like, what am I going to do next with my life? You know, and the problem is I still think about that day every day wow. because it's such a it's such a moment that I froze, you know. We threw a punch. So in the fight, we threw a punch at the same time. I threw a left hook. He threw a right hand. I mean, literally, like, fractions of me missing and him landing. 
And I don't remember what happened, but I guess I got shell-shocked. So I backed up against the ropes, and he threw an uppercut, split my gloves, and I dropped. Mm. And I still remember today, like I was on all fours, and my nose is pouring blood. Uh. I'm in my corner, my, my corner Adam is yelling at me. The ref is behind me saying, prove your position. And Nick Patterson is behind me just throwing punches down. And it sounds like gunshots, like going off in the back of my head. But you don't feel it because adrenaline is a, a very great drug. Yeah. And uh, I just remember, you know, the ref saying improved position. Before I knew it, it was ding, ding, ding. Fight was over. And it, it frustrates me because all I had to do was turn over and pull guard mm. and get my composure back. But I sat there in all fours and just froze. I couldn't yeah. hear myself think. The crowd was so loud because we were the main event, Australia versus America. And uh, it still bugs me today. So yeah. uh, so I, try, I always tell myself, if I had won that fight, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair talking to you right now. True. I would have did well, something else. You probably would, though, because you would keep fighting, and then I would have you on the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> but never, maybe I'd never been a promoter and never came to L.A. I would have stayed in San Diego. You mm -hmm. know, so you never know what True. paths lead. And sometimes your failure is your biggest achievement. Because if you can take that failure and go to the next chapter and, mm. and succeed, it's all that matters. You know, I love that. And as you were describing your story, I felt like I lived it mm. with you. And, you know, like you said, it was actually a win for you because it detoured you. Yes. And I really believe that. I'm not just being nice because you could have gotten back in that cage. You could yeah. have fought again, you know, and adjusted your record. I mean, you would have had that one loss, but you could have gotten another win. You chose not to, and it detoured you for the better. Yeah, I, there was no way. I remember talking to, uh, after that fight, it was a couple months later, you, remember, you know Jason House? He's a he's an MMA manager. Uh -huh. He's like my first go-to when I need fighters. And I remember asking him, like down the line, like six months later, I said, what would I have to do getting to the UFC? And he was like, man, you'd probably have to fight like four or five times and, and win, and yeah. then you have to go to the UFC. I'm like, so fight four more times, plus get into the UFC. Then if I want to be UFC champion, there's another five or six fights. I'm like, I don't have 10 more fight camps. I mean, there's no mm, way. This is after your eighth, he said this? Yeah. Wow, okay. You know, so there was absolutely no way. Yeah. You know? So then so it's a tough, it gave you perspective. It did give me perspective. Yeah. You know, obviously, if I, again, if I didn't have the, the foundation I already had, I would have kept on fighting for sure. Mm -hmm. But because I had the MBA and I worked in corporate America, I knew that there was so much more. Yeah, you know, people nowadays think that thirty-four at the time is old, but it's still like not even half of your life. No, and we're living longer now, and you Way live such longer. a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I think you're you're gonna outlive all of us. I hope so. <laughs> I'm gonna keep eating cheese it's okay, so you know. <laughs> I'll eat them on Sunday. <laughs> um, I love that. Okay, so you have a new initiative coming. What's up yes. with uh, Smash for the Troops? Yeah, so I'm gonna start on my five hundred one C three. I love it. I'm going to do, start doing uh, Fight for the Troops. So it's going to be called Smash for Troops. Uh -huh. So I'm kind of going to start rolling out this initiative during this show and then on December 19th. Yeah. And then starting in either January or February and uh, take these guys with PTSD, putting through a workout. So, for example, I'll be done at Muscle Farm headquarters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll bring in like Shane Mosley for boxing, maybe nice. Tito Ortiz for MMA and Michael Hearn for the bodybuilding portion, yeah. my man Taylor for the boot camp, and then make all these guys work and make them feel empowered. Because you know, one thing about veterans who have PTSD, and I lost my brother to PTSD, oh, I'm sorry. is uh, they don't have an outlet. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I have a friend of mine, Bruce Mosler, who kind of almost underwrote, underwrote this show coming up. And uh, he's kind of become a mentor of mine in New York. And he has his own veterans initiative that his job is to employ like 2,000 veterans in their, in, uh, for Cushman and Wakefield. He's mm-hmm. the chairman of them. And his partner, Ken Fisher, of Fisher Brothers, like a billionaire family, he has a Fisher Foundation here that builds homes for free, you know, and they give them to veterans. So it's like they have the job security stuff without the outlet. Like these guys never feel empowered. So things like the MVP program or doing a smash for troops events Mm -hmm. where I can take a portion of my ballroom, say it's like half of it, and actually give it to military families so they can come and experience a night out, you know, for a ticket price they could never afford Mm. and feel like celebrities for the night. Yeah. walk a red carpet and take pictures with everyone yeah so it's kind of be a good experience for them i think wait so are you gonna have like the veterans fight too or is that i probably will i will probably seek some vet every single card i gotta have someone that's um a veteran yeah for sure and there's so many there's so many especially like, when i was in san diego training i mean there's so many guys who are fighting that are veterans mm-hmm. you know the younger guys they did their four years and they're out yeah. And a lot of them have PTSD really bad. Yes. Uh, you know, shout out to Nate Boyer, who was the co-founder of MVP. Yes. He's coming oh, on the show Such an soon. amazing dude. I love that guy. Yeah. He's a great, great guy. Uh, he's doing so much. Yes, he is. I don't think people realize, like, how much of a beast he really is. But but we're going to save that for the show. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Smash Global number nine. Yes. Coming up December 19th. Correct. Um, you guys, get your tickets. Where can they get tickets? Uh, my website is www.smashglobal.com. Okay, perfect. And then what's your Instagram? Instagram, Smash Global. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the business, my personal is Steve Orozco, or you can type in Mr. Smash. I like it. Um, so it's funny. Before we started the show, I was like, wait, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your last name right. And I'm like, is it it's Steve Orozco? And I got like super authentic with it. You know? <laughs> and he was like, uh, no, I'm not Spanish. Like, it's Orozco. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So glad I asked. That's a good icebreaker, though. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. You've been really, uh, you've been a fantastic guest, Steve. Thank I you. have to say, you have just this natural charisma about you. And I feel like we could go on talking for hours. So um, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we have just a couple minutes left, and I want to know, how are you feeling right now? How's that Titan CBD treating you? I feel very relaxed. You feel good, yeah? Yeah, I do. <laughs> now that you say it, I do. <laughs> okay, but so we adjusted the dose. Okay, and, which is? Um, it's 11 milligrams, right. and, but because it's a sublingual 11 milligrams, it's mm. actually like it hits the body without all the, it bypasses the bullshit, you know, okay. that, like of like when you would eat it or you know um yeah cbd is such a it's kind of like that new i won't say supplement but that new product that's really taking into sports like and especially uh-huh. mma yeah i'm hearing from previous fighters that like it's so instrumental in their recovery yeah do big you time. do you take any regularly actually i don't you don't okay i would yeah all right tell you guys send me some i'll start taking it yeah all right (laughs) i will let him know okay so what are your plans for um expanding smash like what like other than the troops yep do you how frequently do you do these events um so i've had nine in three years so about three a year three a year um except for this year i kind of took a step back only had one this is my only one this year because i really wanted to 
get all my ducks in a row yeah. before I really expand in 2020. So what are you doing for income outside of this? Do you have like side hustles? Uh, I do. Okay. I do. But actually, I mean, I worked on Wall Street, so I did very well. Okay. So it also afforded me the ability to fight. That's I how I was able. I live this guy's lifestyle. Yeah. He's straight <laughs> chilling over here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, then again, so many, I was able to fight and not have to work because mm-hmm. I did so well when I was in finance and I still, you know, invested and watched the market like yeah. a day trader does. You know, most of these guys who are fighting don't have that, uh, you know, ability mm. where they can not work and just train. And yeah. I did. So that obviously helped me a lot, too. So are you, you're not living off of savings. I can't see a, a fiscally responsible man like you mm. living off of savings. You're, you have investments coming in. and Yeah, of course. And, okay. Have to. Got it. Okay, we're going to talk after the show because I want to make my money back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we have just a few mm. minutes left, and I really I want to get some insights mm. from you. You're yeah. a very knowledgeable man, and you're extremely disciplined. For the listeners who work in a variety of industries, and they're mm. all over the country, all over the world, really, what advice do you have for people who are looking to grow in their career? Man, everything is about networking. It's not even about your resume anymore. You really have to build that circle. Mm. I would not be here if I didn't build that circle. You know, mm. for example, you know, I've I've only been in LA for three years. Think about all the celebrities and all the people who have come to my show. Yeah, it's all because of networking and putting myself out there and meeting good people mm. and just being genuine and authentic. Something that LA is missing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, don't talk shit about my town. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know, but literally, like you know, when I was, I remember. My senior in college, like being my business management class and and staying there, and everyone's coming into class like, oh, I got a job here, making thirty five grand a year, like because it was a big thing. This was back in two thousand five. Yeah. Whereas now, it's not about that anymore. It's all about who you know and what you know. Mm. Your resume doesn't get you jobs anymore. No. You have to know somebody in the job that you want that's going to get you in. So you have to network, which is why yes. I tell all my fighters and even athletes in general. They need to network. Mm-hmm. They don't do it. You know, they just want to go and fight. And their, yeah. their circle is fighters and managers and other yes. people. <laughs> but they're not like people who are wealthy because they don't understand the people who aren't fighters respect them so much mm-hmm. that they could do whatever they want when they're done fighting if they just networked while they were fighting. So smart. Guys, I mean, I have a huge MMA following. I think that that is really impactful advice. Um, and another piece I want to kind of piggyback on is work for free for a little bit. It's okay. You know, you have to put, you have to pay your dues. Every successful person I know has worked for free. Every single one, you know, you get in there and I get so many DMS from people asking me for stuff, Mm -hmm. but the people that really get my attention are the ones that are like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? You know? Yep. And I take care of the people that are with me. You know, I have Mello, my photographer, and, and he's with me. Like, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, like he's going to grow with me. And that's because he took the right approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it should be. So my first show, obviously, so real quick, when you get your promoter's license, yeah. the one thing that's hard is the athletic commission gives you a temporary license. Mm. So they give you 14 weeks to put on a successful show. Oh, wow. Right? So it's almost like they set you up to fail you have time to promote. You it's have your to time one. it almost like you have to plan the event first and then yeah. apply for the license. And geez. Well, you can't do anything. If you were to do any of that before you applied, they would cancel you. Holy shit. So 
So long story short is when I had my first show, I only sold maybe 70 tickets. Mm -hmm. So I was at Hard Rock Hotel downtown of San Diego, like 400 seats and literally like only a few tables that were sold. And I remember somebody saying to me, Steve, you're probably not gonna sell out your first show. It's almost impossible for yeah. what you're doing. So instead you should fill that ballroom and just give tickets away to yes. people that make sense and get them hooked. And I didn't see that approach at that time. I was mm. like, no, 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 I'm gonna sell out. My pride was a little too much. And uh, and you were scared that it would like lower the value. And Yeah, and lower the value. So in hindsight, I should have done that where I just filled that ballroom, just like gave a table away to every major business in San Diego. Because mm -hmm. I took a huge L anyway. Right. You know, and I could have probably been a lot more better off if I just given tables away to influential people. Smart. Okay. Words from a very wise man, Steve Orozco. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm. Give us your Instagram handle once again. Uh, Steve Orozco, not Orozco. No. <laughs> <laughs> AKA Mr. Smash. And yes. uh, business, Smash Global. Yeah, you have two pages. Your event is on December 19th. Correct. You guys, the show airs five times. Um, you can find us at uh, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Pacific, Thursday, Thursday at 9 a.m., Friday at 9 p.m., Saturday at 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m., all Pacific times. If you really didn't get that, you can go to my Instagram page, The Jenna Ben Show. It's all listed there. Guys, I love your DMs. I love the support. Thank you so much for the love and the show ideas. And um, I am coming up on my 50th show, and I'm really excited for you guys to see what's happening there because I'm having some badasses interview me. So, Ooh. yes, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait. Um, I'm also starting a new social segment called Quick 10 with Jenna Ben. And I'm going to be interviewing just everyday folks on their story and some random questions. And you'll see that on Instagram and YouTube. You guys love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next week.